I'm not a client, a customer, nor a service user. I'm not a shirker, a scrounger, a beggar, nor a thief. I'm not a national insurance number or blip on a screen. I paid my dues, never a penny short, I'm proud to do so. I don't tug the forelock, but look my neighbour in the eye and help him if I can. I don't accept or seek charity. My name is Daniel Blake. I am a man, not a dog. As such, I demand my rights. I demand you treat me with respect. I, Daniel Blake, am a citizen. Nothing more and nothing less. Thank you. Again and welcome to another episode of A Thousand and One by One, where we take a film out of the wonderful book, A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die, discuss it, analyze it, and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book. My name is Adam St. John. And my name is Ian Woodington. And before we get to our main film of discussion today, in which I cannot fucking wait to talk about this movie you've been wanting to do this one since we started i really have i really really have um we're gonna give you some recommendations this week and i believe that ian is gonna go first this time i would love to go first this time what do you have for us uh i've been watching a lot of garbage lately i don't mind admitting awesome um i was just gonna talk sort of generally about some of the stuff that i've been watching before i get to my my recommend but um I have to say I'm really happy that Michael Crichton isn't around to see just how bad things have gotten on the Jurassic Park front. Because oh. I did watch Fallen Kingdom a couple nights ago. I don't know Even why. after Jurassic World? You yeah, no, to... well, we've got HBO. We pay for HBO. We're just like, fuck it. Okay, let's, no, get, no. let's get our money's worth out. Yeah. We'll watch this garbage thing that we know is going to be garbage. And Liz is like, I kind of have some hope. I'm like, I don't know why you have hope, but here, fuck it. We'll do it anyway. She wanted to turn it off. About 45 minutes in, and I'm like, no, we're at the 45-minute mark. That's my cutoff. If I'm 45 minutes in, I'm going all the way. Unless it's unless it's the three-hour Australia, in which case, go ahead and shut that fucker off. Yeah, please yeah. do. Yeah. I saw that thing twice. Oh! I don't know why. Whoa! I think I showed it to somebody to show them how bad it was. Um, yeah, the other thing that was terrible that I watched, I really had high hopes for it. But high, knowing that it was a bad movie, being like, okay, this is going to be fun, tongue-in-cheek. Sure. I'm not expecting the level of quality that Jaws is, but I watched The Meg as well. Yeah. Because I love Jason Statham. I, my my hope, my one goal going into this film, my hope and dream was that I was going to get to see Jason Statham punch a shark. I mean, he kicks it in the nose, but he doesn't punch it. I'm just like, I just want to see Jason Statham just full on like cock back and just punch a shark. It's the problem with the Meg is it took itself way too seriously. Okay. Like it wanted to have its cake and eat it too. Like it knew how stupid it was and wanted to have fun, but then it also like switches gears and then becomes super serious and probably I would imagine slips into deep blue sea territory, which is a film that you've Ooh. talked about. Oh man. I just I I wanted something just stupid. And it was, but not fun stupid. Okay. Yeah, it was, I, it was I, stupid, I, stupid. I absolutely know the difference between yes. Yeah. But anyway, so my recommendation for this week um, a film that has been on my radar for years popped up on Hulu, and as of this recording, it's still on there if you want to indulge, which I highly recommend you do. And it is kind of tied to the film we're going to talk about as far as its sort of 
in a way, social awareness and changing values and how we treat each other as humans, etc. River's Edge. I don't think I know this. So, uh, Keanu Reeves and Crispin Glover are the two leads in it. Definitely don't know this. Yeah, so, yeah and, and it's also it. got um, another face that I recognize was Ion Sky, who a couple of years later, this was made in 86. 86? It was made in 86. Oh, wow, okay. Uh, so a couple of years later, she would be in Say Anything with, with John Cusack. Uh-huh. Uh, it's also got Dennis Hopper, which I always get excited for Dennis Hopper movies. I, I go into the, what level of crazy are we going to get from Dennis Hopper? I get excited about it. He was actually very reserved in this. Okay. It's interesting. He does still play a nut job, but it's uh, it's uh, came out the same year as Blue Velvet, which is probably his most famous psychopath. Yes, uh, and this is definitely sort of the flip side to that character's coin, uh, which is interesting. Anyway, so the the plot very very basic. Uh, there's a character um, named Samson. They all call him John which they go into why they call him John. It's a stupid little throwaway moment, which doesn't matter. Just His name is Samson, so just fucking call him Samson. Some of the, the, the writing in this, uh, the, you do have to make a couple of leaps in logic, but he has killed his girlfriend. The film opens with him sitting on a riverbank. That's why it's called River's Edge. And she is there. She's completely nude. We don't think that he's interfered with her. At least I never got that impression, so I don't really understand why she's nude, other than for the provocation of it and for, you know, shock value and things like that. Um, and he comes to school cause they're all, you know, teenagers, you get the feeling they're probably high school, either juniors or, or seniors. And, uh, he tells them about it and he tells them in a very nonchalant way and they just kind of, ah, uh, they brush it off. Yeah, whatever. Okay. John, whatever you want to say. And they come to find out slowly but surely that he did really kill his girlfriend. And it deals with all of their reaction, the way that they deal with that. Now, it ties into Daniel Blake, the movie we're going to talk about, as I said, because of the way that it it deals with humanity and especially a sort of sense of disenfranchisement and apathy, especially because of the varying degrees of their reaction to finding out this news. Uh, Keanu's fantastic in it. Uh, as I think he is in, in most stuff. Because um, I do feel that he, earlier in his career, was very much undervalued as much shit as I talked last week about him in, in Bram Stoker's Dracula. Uh, but, but this isn't his weird period. This isn't yeah, his... Yeah, I mean, very, he's very, very early. This he, is pre-Bill yeah. and Ted. Oh, okay. All right. Um, Crispin Glover, on the other hand. Now, I assume you know a little bit about Crispin Glover. I don't know. Have you seen any of his, like, talk shows? Oh, yes. Where he's been on interviews? Yes. He is an interesting cat. Okay, so I tell you what. His character, and he is the, so, he's completely a sociopath, and he, you love It's Always Sunny. I, I do. Take the Dennis character. Like, if Dennis was played by Crispin Glover. Okay. That's this performance. All right. Take that moment in Back to the Future that, hey, you, get your damn hands off her. Take that moment and blow it up over a whole movie is is how he performs in this thing. It's a lot of finger pointing and shaking. And he, the decisions that he makes in this film, I cannot wrap my mind around. Like, I, I was very tempted to turn the film off because of how fucking bad he is in it. But I didn't. I, I, I stuck with it because I was more interested in the other characters. I mean, he just makes the worst choices you can make as an actor over the course of this film. And the fact that somebody didn't go, what the fuck are you doing? 
And you can even, there are moments where you can even see it on the other actors' faces, where obviously, yeah, he's got to play the big, larger-than-life, sociopathic-type character who believes that he sort of lords over the rest of them in that Dennis way yeah. in, in It's Always Sunny. But I there are a couple of moments where I could see the actors breaking character to go, really? This is what the fuck you're doing? Like I've got it. I've got to now completely change where the fuck I was going to go in this scene, so that I can deal with whatever the hell it is you think you're doing. Like this, it's so frustrating to can watch. I, can I tangent for one sec? Oh, please do. I was in a show not too long ago here in the Seattle area. I won't say the show and I won't say the actor's name because I'm not a piece of shit like that. But I was in a show where the lead in it was so bad and so bad with it's his not lines. The one that I no okay no, he was so bad with his lines and and so bad with his choices that he made the other actors look bad for that same reason of of us having to like adjust and and kind of respond on the fly and that that time it takes for you to respond you're the one that looks like the dumbass not the person doing the the yeah. fuck up so sorry you saying that just sparked horrible memories in my in my brain it's so. the reason why Crispin Glover I mean I know he's got something of a cult following and he is a director in his own right but i've never seen any of those and i'm not going to go out of my way to i haven't either i mean the honestly the best thing that i i believe crispin glover has done is that little bit at the beginning of dead man because he can't do a lot he's just like the engineer on the on the train i've seen that once so he's long like, ago i forgot like, he was in it look they're shooting buffalo that's like one of the only lines he has way to go great. crispin yeah first of all his name's crispin I don't get, like, he was in Back to the Future. He had an incredible career in front of him based on the work that he does. And because he's wonderful in Back to the Future. We talked about it in the Back to the Future yeah. episode. He is probably the best thing as far as performance-wise goes in it. I think it's the best performance in the movie. Ooh. Oh, I don't agree with that. No? <laughs> no. Well, I, I, I especially like the arc that his character has to take and what he has to do from going to being the little pimp squeak and then, you know, he is then this successful writer when we get back to alternate 1985 or the, the 1985 that Michael J. Fox has yeah. now created. I, I think that... That I mean, what, Christopher Lloyd is, of course, he's great. I think what well, I think what Crispin and Leah Thompson do in, in playing two different older versions of themselves and then also the high school versions of themselves, I think is great. But I by no means think that Crispin Glover is the, the it has the best acting in that movie. Well, I you'll think differently if you see River's Edge to go like look at the decisions that you made in Back to the Future and how good they are and how much they work and how much they serve the story. I just want to be sure this is your recommendation. Yes. Yeah. Okay. No. Just, I, just check I, it. I really like the movie. Okay. I, great. I, I okay. really like River's Edge. Keanu is fantastic in it. The child actors because they he's got uh, a little brother and a little sister and there's a huge conflict which happens with them. The kid actors they're not. It's not like Spielberg level of child acting, but it's still pretty goddamn good. Okay. Uh, I, the movie's really, and Dennis Hopper is wonderful. He does some really, really great stuff, and he does some actually kind of heartbreaking stuff in it. Yeah. And it's one of Dennis Hopper's better underappreciated performances. It's a really, really good movie. It just happens to have Crispin Glover on fucking acid, as far as I'm concerned. Th that's pro you know what? It wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And he's, oh, he's whiny, that the whiny voice that he, oh, Jesus Christ, man. You've got to see it just out of, like, pure curiosity. Okay, just yeah, for, yeah. And to reaffirm I how do, much of a better actor you are than him. I do try and watch the movies you recommend as as 
time permits. So well, so do I. I've been I've been waiting on sleepaway camp. Oh yeah, well yeah, because I want to do that you together. Need to come over, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so do you mind if I get to mine, please? Okay, that, but, that that was all I had to say on that. I just really wanted to drive home that fuck Crispin Glover. So I really wanted to watch the one that shakes the barley for this. Um, oh, that's right. Because, had, because it's, yeah. it's, it's Ken Loach and you, and it was a recommendation you, or a, a replacement you had for the quiet man. Yep. And it, I really wanted to, and it wasn't like, it wasn't prime and it wasn't on Netflix and I couldn't, I couldn't, it's so it's not like, readily available. And, oh, and that was the thing too. It was like, I, I, I couldn't immediately even rent it on prime. So I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to find something else. And then through the course of just picking things to watch. Oh, so you have a you have a Ken Loach? No, I don't. Oh, okay. I don't. I want I wanted to, but I I wa- I'm going. In terms of social awareness, that's sort of the similar and sort of a call to action, which I think uh, Daniel Blake also kind of does. So my recommendation, I feel weird again doing another documentary. I, I see trepidation on your face. No, here's the thing. I I really enjoyed the movie I'm about to talk about. Okay, but I could see why people won't. And my recommendation this week is. Fahrenheit 11.9. I don't know if you've seen this, or if you will. Uh, maybe. Have you seen it? No, I haven't. Okay. I haven't seen it, but I'm like, uh. so. Here's what I'm going to say first: is I, I tend to really like Michael Moore's documentaries, and that's that. And and I think he would admit to his bias. He is a very liberal person, and when you watch his movies, they're very much, you know, I mean, Bowling for Columbine. Even though it's about gun control, it's also very much Bush is awful. And obviously Fahrenheit 9-11 is Bush is awful. Yeah. Well, and, I'm I'm still ashamed of the Academy for cutting him off during Well, his, yes. Like, I mean that was a shitty move. Yes. And but Bowling for Columbine was such I saw it not too long after it came out, when I was still in high school, and I was transfixed and horrified and and moved by watching it. And as I've revisited Fahrenheit or as I as I revisited Bowling for Columbine about a year ago. And when I think about the other ones I've seen of his, and I think I've seen most of his big ones, going even back to Roger and Me. I hear Roger and Me is actually really good. It, it is good. Oh, yeah. it's so hard. And that's the thing is, parts of all of them are really good. And then, it, and then his agenda really comes through, and that's fine. But it's also it is a nitpick. It's it's very clear that he has his his thoughts. So Fahrenheit eleven nine, very much starts the way that Fahrenheit nine eleven does. The, the 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 Gore Bush election is how Fahrenheit 9/11. so Fahrenheit eleven nine starts the night before the election this year where where Trump ultimately beat Hillary Clinton and this movie is definitely an indictment of Trump so if you don't like that then you might not like this movie however the one thing this movie does that I've never seen in a Michael Moore, Michael Moore movie before is Michael Moore doesn't just attack the one side because part of this movie deals with the water crisis in Flint. Which, of course, is where he's from, very famously from Flint, and very much, you know, Flint and Detroit are a great, it's a great, ex- well, it's a hor- horribly great example to show what's going wrong with this country, beyond the the decline in, in the auto industry for part of it, and also this whole water crisis that happened with Flint. What I didn't, what I don't remember was Obama finally going to Flint, and doing this whole bit where he drank the water to kind of show that it was okay, and Michael Moore does not hold back against Obama. And as much as I was a, an Obama supporter, I really appreciated this movie for the fact that it's not just one-sided. And it's not just how horrible Trump is. And That sounds like a real departure for Michael Moore. Yeah. And it, it and he, he opens up. I, like, I, never, I didn't know that at one point on Roseanne Barr had her own personal talk show for a while. And 
Trump and Michael Moore were both guests on it at the same time. Like, oh, I've seen that clip. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's, yeah, it's fascinating. And I just, I think Michael Moore, he's older now, and I, and I think he still has his opinions. But I, I, I appreciated the showing both sides to this. And, you know, it talks about the um, the Parkland shooting that happened in Florida. I mean, it's not just about Trump, right? It's, it's, it's a really, it's a big wide gamut of things. And it's, it's one of the, it, it, I would say it's the most well-rounded Michael Moore documentary. Um, it's less of his showy parts. Like, you know, there's the bar- parts in Bowling for Columbine where he basically bombards Dick Clark in his, his, in his van and says, will you apologize because this woman had to work two jobs and one of them was at your restaurant. Like it's his fault that this happened. And there's a lot of that in his movies. There's one moment in, in this one where he, he hoses down the, I think it's the, the mayor of Flint's, um, his, his front yard with water from Flint. It's, it, but, and that's, that's only one, this movie only has one kind of bombastic weird moment like that. But for the most part, it's just, you know, how did we, how did we get to Trump's election? And it's not just like Trump sucks. It's like, well, look at all this stuff. It goes into, it, it reams Bill Clinton. It reams Obama. It's not just a, you know, Republicans suck. And that's why I appreciated it. And it's on prime. Um, it's, it's, you can just watch it. I understand of watching a movie, especially in these political times about this, isn't going to be the first thing you watch, but I do highly recommend it. And I'm, um, I'm certainly much more interested. Now, I was having that knowledge. I was moved watching it. I I really was, and and not just for its not just for its social awareness, but also the fact how moved I was is also why I wanted to um, recommend it for this episode. Talking about a movie that has vastly become one of my favorite movies I've ever seen in my entire life. And um, now, does I, does it have a moment that tops? Because for me, more so than the the Charlton Heston moment in Bowling for Columbine, my favorite thing in any Michael Moore documentary is him driving around in Fahrenheit 9-11 in the van around Capitol Hill with a megaphone reading out the Patriot Act when he hears that most of those bills don't ever get read by most of the people voting on them. There's a moment in um, Fahrenheit 11-9 where he's talking to one of the, I don't know if she was a nurse, but somebody who was basically... A lot of kids were getting sick, drinking the water from from Flint because there was lead in it. And this woman basically admitted her part into doctoring reports that where these kids showed high levels of lead to mark them down to the, the highest level they could be where they don't need to see a doctor. Um, and this is going to happen when we talk about Daniel Blake too, but I just couldn't imagine – my kids going through something like that and you're watching these parents and, and it's even worse that these parents can barely afford anything, anything. And now on top of that, their government is, is lying about the the quality of their water. And for no other reason than, than it was a way to privatize it and make money. And, and, and they go into much more detail about how that happened in the movie. They, they should have been getting water from one place they got it from another, and it became a change when one mayor, when when their current mayor, or at least he was current at the time, came into power, and um, it's a shit show. Um, and again, hard to watch, but I think it's important. I think there are movies like that where we can't just ignore them because they're hard to watch, you know. So yeah, yeah, but neither should we. Yeah. Um. So the movie that we're talking about today is uh, a little a little gem that you may not know, and hopefully. 
you get to know it. And it's the newest thing that we've done in the book, which I, I have a couple of thoughts on later in the episode. Yeah. And so we're talking about uh, 2016's I, Daniel Blake. Um, it was directed by Ken Loach and written by Paul Laverty, and they've been a team for quite some time now. Um, I know this from looking at IMDb and listening to them talk, but I can I can tell you that this is the only thing I've seen of theirs. Um, Ken Loach has one other film in the book. It is Kess, which is from 1969, um, which you have seen and I haven't, right? I No, I've actually not oh, seen Oh, you Ken. haven't? Okay. The, the only other... Ken Loach film oh, that I've seen is When the Shakes of Barley. Okay. Which he also won the uh, Palm d'Or for. Yes. Um, so I know that there are some child actors in some other parts, and I'm not even going to lie. I wrote down two names. I wrote down Dave Johns, who plays Daniel, and I wrote down Haley Squires, who plays Katie. If you have any other names, you can say. But the, it, oh, I, just, be... I, I have the kids' names. Oh, uh, yeah, go ahead, because they, they're, they're good too. But Dylan McKiernan playing Dylan, and uh, Brianna Sean playing Katie. Yeah. Uh, who are um, hey the Katie? Yes, yes, Katie's kids. Yes, yes. Um, in terms of accolades, um, it was uh, the BAFTAs and the British Independent Film Awards really, really liked this movie. It won Best British Film at the BAFTAs. It was nominated for film, which yep. it lost to La La Land. It was also nominated for supporting actress for Haley Squires, uh, original screenplay and uh, director, which it, again lost to La La Land. And it pretty much swept the British Independent films. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's what I thought. Um, it, and it, what's more interesting is is its performance at Cannes. Yeah. Which uh, nobody's really ever kept track, but they believe that Ken Loach is one of the most featured directors. I think he's made thirteen to fourteen appearances at Cannes. Yeah. Um, it got a fifteen-minute standing ovation, and as I mentioned earlier, it won the Palme d'Or. Another prize, the Ecumenical Jury Prize, which I'd heard the term before, but I actually had to look it up. Yeah. To know what it's, it's a a Christian award uh, created by a, a, a sort of vast majority of sort of different Christian religions. I mean, it's, um, the whole point of it is to kind of honor works of artistic quality, which witness the power of film to reveal the mysterious depths of human beings through, uh, what concerns them and their hurts as well as their failings and hopes. It also at Cannes got an award I'd never heard of before. Yes. This one's, this one's interesting. The Dogmentarian Award. Uh, which it got for showcasing a three-legged dog, which it showcases a three-legged dog for I'm going to ballpark like eight seconds. <laughs> yeah. It's not very long. No. But hey, you know, I'll, more power to you. Um, the, you know what the other one I wrote down just because it, it's local? Um, yeah, the the Sif. Sif. So yeah. if you don't know, we're, we're based in the sort of Seattle area. Uh, there's a wonderful film festival up here. SIF is actually, I believe it's the biggest film festival in the United States as far as number of screenings oh, that gosh. they do. I, there's I usually no there's usually somewhere in the ballpark of anywhere between like 140 to 160 films that get screened during that period. Uh, when SIF, I think it's here like May, June-ish. That sounds about right. Yeah. Um, so it got third place overall at SIF, and then it won the Golden Space Needle, which is the highest acting uh award that they give for uh for david jones Dave Johns, yeah yep, yep. um it, it's not on the imdb 250 um which doesn't surprise me mostly because i don't think enough people have seen it well it made a when it was in theaters here in the states i, I found this number it made a grand total of 260k so not a lot of people saw it here in the states yeah. at least not theatrically anyway um but uh criterion obviously saw it and uh and didn't wait very long to make it a criterion yep um which is great and that, that's the only, this book and Criterion is the only way I would have heard about this movie. 
It, uh, but it's got a great, it's got a 92% critical review, 85 audience, which sounds about right to me. I, I found some critical things, but I, I don't want to, I'm not going to talk about it. Did you, did you find anything that you wanted well, to bring I, up? I've always had varying degrees of respect for Peter Travers, who writes for the Rolling Stone. Uh-huh. He, he had a, a bullet point. Uh, towards the end of his review. I really liked it. It goes, the director and his longtime screenwriter handle the Byzantian roadblock set up to prevent Daniel from getting his due with bruising humor and barely concealed rage. Clearly, their concerns stretch to our own borders as well as Great Britain's. Loach is nothing if not a humanist, one who sees what should unite us all in times of duress, and this is arguably one of his best and most accessible movies to date. Yeah. Well, and and, and as, as we kind of launch into it, um, and we'll say right now, we should we're we're gonna spoiler tag this episode simply because it's the newest film that we've done. Yeah, you know, like last week. Uh, who cares about us spoiling the Matrix? If yeah. you haven't seen it by now, we're our opinions probably won't sway you to see yeah, it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but the movie opens up fairly comically. Well, um, before we even get into the movie, yes. Liz really wanted to make sure that I brought because she watched it with me. Yeah, and we were both in tears, like you know. I was going to ask. It. I was going to ask what your cry count was. Uh, twice. Okay. So, well, so. She, she wanted me to bring up the uh, the the menu on the Criterion with the the sound of the music. Yeah. yeah, and the fact that if you let it play long enough, it even gives you the thank you for holding. I don't know if you you caught that or not. I think I might. I think I did. Did you? Yeah. Oh, sorry. You were going to give us your cry count. Well, so my cry count this time was, was two. Um, but I think the first time I watched it was more. Um, and so here's here's the thing I also got to say too. So this is the the first time you've seen this movie. Yeah. Yeah. No, I literally just watched it last week. Okay. So Which you had given it to me a couple months ago, and I I based on how highly you were recommending it to me, I knew we were going to get to it fairly soon. And so I waited so that I would be totally fresh. So I watched this movie about a year ago for the first time and by myself. And I was a, just a blubbering mess. And we'll get to why in a, in a little bit. And then I remember, so what, what had happened was, is, and I'm going to backstory about me. This is when I was teaching up at, up in, up at Western. And I was not staying. I was on my parents' boat, which is about... 45 miles north of where we were living at the time. And I watched this movie on my laptop by myself and cried. And what was going on at my at my apartment at that same time was our water heater had broken. And it was leaking into the little entryway of our apartment. And it was a it was a pretty big mess. And Melissa, my wife, had to deal with it on her own. And I'm I'm just getting done watching this movie. And I get this text, which is a video of, of the water seeping in. And I'm like, she, and she goes, don't come. I just wanted you to see what was going on. And like this whole, this, after watching this movie, I immediately was like, no, 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 I'm going to drive the hour it's going to take to get home and help with this. Not just because it was happening, but like, I was such like, in a like, I need to be with my family kind of state anyway, (laughs) that I immediately went and not, not three weeks later that I watched this movie again, because I was like, Melissa, we have to watch this movie. And so in a year, in a, I've seen this movie three times in a year. Um, and it still has the power that it, it does. So that's just a little quick sidebar about that. how many times my I've understanding it. of most of Ken Loach's work does. Yeah, which I'll be interested. Yeah, interested to watch more of his stuff, especially yeah. after after this. Yeah, my name is Joe, and uh, Hidden Agenda are now very high up on my to see list. Yeah, and, and that's, I I know nothing about any of his other movies. I watched the trailer for the one that shakes the barley, and that's that's about all I know of any of his other movies. So yeah, 
But um, so anyway, this movie opens up with this really kind of funny phone call. Well, no, it's not uh, this really funny conversation between um, Daniel, played by Dave Johns, and this um, oh, what is she? Um, a certi- certified healthcare professional is what she is, um, and she's asking him all these questions. That seem, at first seem fairly okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you walk this much unassisted? Can you lift a thing? But then they a little goes a little off the rail, and and um, and Dave Johns, who was a stand-up comedian, this was his first feature film. Well, before um, that, he was he was a bricklayer. Yeah, who turned to to stand-up comedy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, it's just giving these great dry, sarcastic responses to her. Um, you don't quite know where this movie's gonna go based off of this initial scene. Um. But it's very funny. It's a very funny moment between the two of them. And I only bring that up because it's just the way it opens and the way it ends are, you know, how we get from A to B. It's just, it's very different. So we should set up that he, he's a, uh, he's been a, a carpenter his whole life. His wife has, has very recently died, or and, we assume somewhat recently. Yeah. Um, and she seemed to have, this isn't battling plot pivotal, but she, yeah. some kind of a mental disorder. Yes. We and she know. was battling depression and probably they, they don't say, I don't believe they say what she died of, but it was something that, that forced him to be at home a lot yeah. caring for her. Yeah. Anyway, he has a heart attack at work and nearly falls off a scaffolding. He's, they, they mention his age, he's 59. So he, and he's, he's trying to. He wants to get back to work. He's very eager to get back to work, but his doctor hasn't cleared him yet. And so while he can't work, he has to get essentially these these welfare checks, which brings us to the conversation of him, you know, my doctor hasn't cleared me, so I need you guys to, you know, make sure the money is still coming in, but they clear him to go back to work. So he's got the conflict of, wait, no, no, my doctor said I can't, but you guys won't keep you know, making sure that I have a source of income because you think, based on these questions that have no basis in, you know, physical health, you've, you've cleared me based on this. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and then later what happens is he has to, and I'm jumping him meeting, meeting, um, Katie, but part of the, the struggle too is that he has to eventually look for jobs that he can't take anyway because he hasn't been medically cleared to go back to work, but to get these other benefits, he has to show that he's been looking for work. And it's this crazy cycle of, of, of shit that he has to go through because there's no, at this moment, there's no win because he, until he gets medically cleared and he, he files an appeal, which we don't know when, when he's going to get, he has to apply for jobs that he can't take if he was to get offered. And there's, it's a very short phone call, but the, the scene where the guy that works, um, I want to say it's like a, um, God, where is it? It's like it, a floral it, place or it's like, it's, it's, it looks like a kind of like a, uh, it looks like a scrapyard. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I don't, yeah. I don't remember where it is exactly. But yeah, but yeah. And, and he wants to give me, he was like, I hate, I, I don't like these young guys. They don't seem to care about work. I like your resume. I like your attitude. I want you to come work for me. And, yeah, essentially the whole film is about this man being stuck between a rock and a hard place yes. because of, you know, conflict, a, a government that just treats everybody just like a statistic or a number. Yeah. And and so during one of these trips to um, a, a job, what is it, like a job center or where? The, yeah, it's, yeah. it's like the benefits place. Yeah. It was where he has to go to, to basically Sorry, get this, any of this. Uh, our, our lack of being able to describe very minute things in this film is no fault of ours. Is that this is Ken Loach's style of filmmaking. You know, it's uh, there. there's a sort of a more of a general feel to what is happening rather than this is where they are right now. 
Yeah, that's that's just his style of filmmaking. It's the 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 uh, the where is is far less important than than the who and the why. Yeah, well, he's, but he, he's at this benefit place and he's talking to a guy and we we hear this phrase which made me livid every time I watch it, which is this digital by default. And you know he's just trying to basically get forms so he can. I mean, at this point, he hasn't even been able to do, to file any of his paperwork because he doesn't even know how to get it, which we'll get into later. But it's this one trip to this job center benefits place where um, he meets Katie, um, who is her her circumstances. Like when she explains why she was late, you know that I'm, I'm new here. I've had to move here. We got lost. I'm I'm only a little bit late. And they just there's no there's no remorse for this woman. There is no leeway at all. It's you know you were late. You didn't follow the rules. Can't help you. And it's just, it's so, it's so harsh. And, you know, in my very limited experience with like health stuff, I remember one time I had to call when the, the, the few years that we were, we had to use the Washington health plan finder to get insurance. Cause we weren't going through our work. We had to get it on our, you know, on our own. There was, there was a one time where they, they, they made a mistake about a payment that happened. They even told me they made a mistake, but it didn't matter. I still had to pay literally pay for their mistake and and that's one small thing i had to deal with and it was extremely frustrating and this is this poor woman by herself with two kids and it's just it's just uncanny the the lack of compassion that these people have there's that one woman who helps daniel throughout but it's just it's incredible well then even she gets yeah she gets ripped a new one yeah for taking the moment to just relate and actually essentially do her fucking job yeah is to help another human being yeah um and I, but i love you know daniel chime chimes in who's next in this queue can, can you wait and she take your spot and and again sure he's making a ruckus whatever but like the people even there are are willing to sure yeah let her go yeah we'll let her go god that blonde woman who works there and the bald dude who has the clipboard yeah yeah you, and here's the thing too you want to punch him in the face watching this movie and yet what this movie does is at no point are they like cackling like no you know benefits for you yeah, it's, no, it's, nobody is technically the bad guy exactly and, yeah and that's the great thing about this movie is that you you clearly are, are irritated with these people and yet you know they're just they're just doing their job now it's, it's the system it's the 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 values inherent in the system that are flawed yeah now if i mean from from where i'm sitting it doesn't make me i mean i still don't like them but i mean but yeah but you can take a step but back it's, you can... it's not that hard to to just show compassion and as i said it, these are human beings they're not statistics yeah. yeah this is this is your fellow man who is here because he needs your help yeah and it's the thing about this movie is that there really isn't a plot the, these two Un, kind of, you know, unlike this unlikely duo forms, you know, yeah. and like like most of Loach's work, it's it's very slice of life. Yeah, here's a little piece of these people's wants and desires and their problems. You yeah. know, and and because because Daniel can't work, but wants to work, and again, I think that's that's the important thing too is he wants to go back to work. He's not somebody trying to just be a freeloader of the government. Give him, I mean, you know, I love it. Give me give me a plot of land, I'll build you a house. You know, he this guy is the salt of the earth. I just want to work. I just want to do something with my life. And I love the sense of purpose that he gets after he meets Katie, right? It, it's like, oh, she's got a new place. Not only does she she not have 
any money really but she also she's a single mom she doesn't have time or the energy to do all this stuff and yet this guy comes i just love how helpful and and grateful he is to just have something to do and i I just love the way that relationship forms and and the relationship he ends up having with the kids too it's just so it's so wonderful no the kids are fantastic in this yeah um so we're kind of all over the place but we're moving along with the plot yeah we are but i don't i don't mind if we if we I don't have to hit all the points. Um, but there are some that we need to hit. Yeah, so... so I.e. the food bank. So, I yeah, no, I actually... I, I did cry three times because I completely forgot about the food bank for some reason. Oh, okay. And the thing is, is that I knew it was coming because I had watched on the Criterion disc, I had watched the... Uh, not the making of the movie, essentially, but the, the documentary they also shot at the same time, which yeah. is more of a Ken Loach retrospective, which is a wonderful little 90-minute piece. Um. So they, they talk about it in that, and then I'd also read about Haley Squares. I was interested in, in who these people were that I'm going to be watching and knowing that there were a lot of non-professional actors in this film as well and just going, okay, what else have they done and why did Ken Loach choose them? And so in my reading about her, I'd read about this scene that happens in the food bank, not knowing all the details. It still didn't prepare me precisely for what was going to happen. So again, this is another reason why we're going to have to spoiler tag the hell out of this episode. Uh, she's been starving herself to make sure the kids eat. And I kind of was clued into that when she is, she makes dinner and she does, she just has the apple. Yeah. The kids have a plate and she gives one to Daniel. He doesn't want to take it Yeah, because he just wants to help her. But she's like, no, after all you've done, it's the least I can yeah. do is just make you dinner. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. And when she's given, they're going through and there's the lady there being awesome and just helping her and helping her pick stuff out and asking her, hey, how many kids have you got? How much food do you need? And then she gets the can of spaghetti and just opens it and just goes for it. Yeah. Uh, ripped, I'm going to tear up right fucking now because yeah. it rips your heart right out of your chest. It's yeah. just a mother. Having, having grown up with single parents and knowing the sacrifices that they have to make, like it... Yeah, it hit home for me really hard. Yeah. I mean, I'm a... It's funny the way that all we need is, like, the slightest tie-in for something for it to hit hard, like, really hard. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. My, I mean, my parents are divorced, and uh, I've always been a mama's boy. Like, I just... I totally am. And for a very brief period of time, when I was little, uh, we were on food stamps for a while. And that's that's... Single mom food stamps was basically all I needed um, yeah. for it to for it to hit hit even harder than it probably would have normally. It, and it's so funny because it, that scene is so tough to watch. And there's so, there's different moments where the crying kind of happens. There's there's the her her first breaking down after she eats it. Right. There's the well. She has that realize that she it's she has an out of body. She doesn't realize what she's doing. And then when she comes back, she realizes what she's done. There's yes, so, but the, but there's yeah. There's 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 that there's that moment. There's the moment where she says, "I'm just so hungry," which just whips you because it's like so. You, I mean, she really has been starving herself. Then there's the scene where her daughter walks just walks up and says, "Mom," and it's like, "Oh my," you know, your and your kids just doesn't because kid can't do anything, you know, and it's just. Well, and, and then, then you get everything Daniel says. That yeah, you, there's the goodwill hunting. It's not your fault moment. Yeah, right. Yeah, and I'm just God damn it. Yeah, yeah. Um, because it, it doesn't matter. I've seen goodwill hunting about a dozen times. That that scene still gets me. Yeah, every time, and it always will. But yeah, so the the, the food bank, um, the food bank scene is is it's really hard to watch. And I mean, it's it's d- beautifully done. 
but it's it's hard to watch. Um, yeah. And it's the first kind of step in her downward spiral. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about Ken Loach as a filmmaker as I know him through this movie and also just about this scene because... Well, this, it's important to talk about his style of filmmaking. This is what I, I, I love. So the the woman, the food, the woman at the food bank helping her was legit a woman who worked at the food bank. Um, the way that Ken Loach doled this script out to the actors was basically day by day. They did not know where this movie was going. I mean, I watched I watched the making of this one, and uh, uh, Haley Squires and, and uh, Dave Johns basically said like they would be given information between takes of of what was going to happen, which I love. I love that they basically shot chronologically. They the last scene of the movie, which is at his spoiler alert, at his funeral. Was the last thing they shot? Well, he, this is, he shoots every film like this. Well, I know, but I'm I'm just saying yeah. like, no, no, just to give you the, yes, the background. The this, this is just his the way of shooting. Yeah, he but shoots I just, completely chronologically, couple pages at a time. I love I love the way that he does it, and and so I don't know if this was in the the sort of retrospective that you watched, but in this documentary, they're they're shooting they're shooting the scene, and and the, but the camera's on him watching it, and he and you can and he's getting kind of emotional like watching it. And they, so they, 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 the scene wraps and he's, you can see him struggling to, to, and he's trying to decide something and you're like, and you can't tell if he's going to, he's struggling with something and he finally goes up to, to Haley and, and he goes, look, that was great. Um, I don't want to make you do it again, but do you have, do you have one more in you? Because we want it for coverage. They wanted to shoot from, you know, another, another angle. And she, and he was, and she was like, yeah, you know, of course. And, and, but I feel like most directors just would have been like, okay, switch camera. We're going to do it again. But you could, you could see him struggling to decide to make this, to make her do this one more time. And there's a care and compassion about that too. And you can feel it in the movie as you're watching it. And it's just, oh, it, I mean, that scene is, it's the epitome of, of so many things about this movie. And, um. I mean, well, I, let's in, say now it's my favorite. It is my favorite scene in the movie. Well, in the and in the retrospective, when they talk to actors who have worked with him, nobody has a bad thing to say about. It, especially Killian Murphy, yeah, who was in the Wind That Shakes the Barley, said the experience of working with him changed everything. The way he approaches everything as an actor. So yeah, that I I that level of compassion is something that I think we definitely need more of, not just in film, but just you know in life. Yeah, right. Because I mean, the whole reason this film was made is and and again what they reveal in the retrospective is Ken Loach had essentially retired and it was the conservatives coming back into power in the UK and Brexit, which was really, and again, I probably should have, I, I recommended the the movie Brexit that's on HBO yeah. a couple episodes back. I probably should have saved it for this one. Well, we didn't but know. It, it's, yeah, exactly. And that's the whole, that was the motivation for making this. So I, I want to kind of pause, um, just a brief pause about the movie itself, and and, and I I'm, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but you being from England, I wanted to. I mean, I I the the impact that this movie had, like like legit politically, what it had. I mean, I can talk about it, but I wanted to know like if you could explain a little bit more about what that was, like the impact of this film yeah. in the UK. Yeah. Well, I, thing is, I haven't lived in the UK since two thousand two. I know, but I just feel like you would follow that more than me. Like I mean, I, I mean, I can just read what I you know. We, we have a lot of broken systems. I absolutely believe one hundred percent everything that happens in this film is completely true. I know how broken many of our 
and I this is not an indictment of socialism because I I do consider myself a socialist. Sure. Because I know socialism is a dirty word here in this country, despite the fact that you have welfare, therefore you do believe in some form of socialism, despite how much you think it's a dirty word. Not you personally, but... <laughs> yeah, I gotcha. Um, yeah, I mean, the NHS is completely fucked. But just, I mean, you know, in the um, in the, in the the little essay in the Criterion Collection, mm. they, you know, it, it kind of goes into detail about certain certain members politically over over in Britain watching this and 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 you know being moved to make change to yep. this um and and obviously other people people within the system thought it was a gross indictment of of what they do but you know again what we t- I, I think the reason to bring that up is that even though you 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 get irritated with the people who work at that benefits place you realize that they are just doing their job and and it is more of indictment of the system and so the people who thought it was a gross indictment like no this is too harsh clearly they can't see what's happening because it's not their problem and i i just appreciated hearing that you know it did it did move people politically to, to try to change things which is great i, I think a movie like this which is what any great art should do yeah yeah right um See, my my experience with things like that is the opposite. When, when we talk about him being a character that wants to work and doesn't want to just live off the system, the problem is, is I know people who, as they say, they just want to live off the doll. Yeah. And again, I think the reason why this movie is important is... Which is the ugly side of socialism. Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I knew people growing up in our in our town, our small town, that absolutely are doing... That people do whatever they can to stay on it. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think about people who are on unemployment and there are people who, you know, intentionally apply for jobs where they know somebody who works there and they'll, they never get a job. The whole point, but to show that you're looking for work, but, o- but only to stay on unemployment, you know, and you've got both, bo- not just, it's not just Daniel, but also Katie actively looking for work and just struggling to, to do it. Yeah. She is. There's the whole sequence where she's going door to door because she has cleaning experience and yeah. she's putting those little flyers, those handmade flyers through the letterboxes. Hey, I'm a reliable, mm-hmm. dependable cleaner. Give this number a call. Yeah. The thing is, is I have I have a hard time answering that question simply because, like I said, I haven't lived there in so long. Sure. But I, I'm also so far removed from the idea of, as I said, living off the dole. I'm far too proud to ever do that. Yeah. I mean, I was laid off quite recently and was able to find jobs, but never... Never in any in any part of my imagination would I ever consider going on any kind of welfare and unemployment. I earn everything that I have. It's so yeah. I mean, it's it's. I, I can't tell if I mean I I agree, and that's my mindset too. And I can't tell if it's a, it's a if it's a male thing or not. But I I, I feel the same way. I mean, you know, I, having grown like I said. Briefly, well, I, I don't think it's it's got anything to do with gender. I think no, it's the but, values that have been instilled in us. Sure, sure. I just, I, I just, I know the brief, the brief amount of time that we were on food stamps when I grew up, and you know, and knowing like I, I never wanted that. I never wanted to do that. And when we, when we first had Stella and we moved to Washington, my Melissa had a job I didn't. And there's this thing called WIC. I don't know if, if you don't know if you know WIC, but no, WIC, I've never heard of it. So WIC stands for Women in Care, and all it means is that if, um, if you have kids. And they're at they're a certain age, and you don't make enough money between the two of you. Um, you can get basically these these checks, and you can take them to any grocery store. And it's 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 stuff for the kids. It's 
It's like it's milk, eggs, cheese, peanut butter, cereal. Oh, I think I've I've seen the logo. Yes, yeah, exactly. And yeah. and and you'd see like Wick Wick here. I mean, and certain yeah. food items, and you can't get. I mean, you have to get what's on the check. You can't get junk food. You can't get booze. I mean, it's it's not like a like an EBT like a like a food stamp card where it's, sometimes it's just, it's just cash on there. It's it's legit these items, and even that, I I had the hardest time like accepting that we were doing that. When it's a totally legit thing and, and it's there for people who need it. And the second I got the job that I have now, I went to Muslim, I'm like, we're done. We're getting off of it. And we did. And and whether it's what me being proud or me just being, no, like that we just need to do this because that's the way that it is. I don't know, but I, I'm just. Well, well, it's also the right thing to do. If you don't need it, you it, shouldn't yes, be on it. Exactly. Exactly. Um. Sorry, that was kind of a political tangent, but I wanted to just kind of bring but that you, up. You can't talk about needs Ken be... Loach without talking about yeah. politics. Um, so this may be just a fun way to think about it. So cry count, um, the food the food bank. Yeah. I'm wondering what your other ones were, because I'm assuming one of them is the other one that I had. It's where she – now, her thieving at the, the, the grocery store, I mean, that, that didn't bring me to tears, but I, it really shocked me, especially when you see what it is she's stolen. Yeah. The, the fact that it is, is feminine products, shit that has, as they say here in the States, a luxury tax, which is fucking bullshit. Yeah. Getting um, very heated, feeling, you know. For me, the other one for me um, is... Uh, is it where he, the the next step in the in her downward spiral where she becomes an escort and he confronts her? Nope. Because that, that shook me. Because I kind of... I. I didn't, I was actively fighting against that happening in the film. Like this, please don't let this go here. Yeah. Cause she's, she's a beautiful young woman. And then the, the security guard guy offers to give her a hand. And I'm like, please don't be that guy. Cause I, I kind of felt it coming. I'm like, no, I'm going to rally against this. Don't be that guy well, okay, that then, is going to introduce her to the but world now, of being cinematically, an Cinematically, like forget the fact that this, this movie has an impact. It's so well done. Yeah, he stops it, it her really and he tries to be a nice guy and he's very earnest. I mean, honestly, in that moment where he stops her before she leaves, very genuine. But 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 you can't help but think that, right? Like, yeah. uh, and then she calls because you because you like, want you want to believe that he has the best intentions yeah, of that and he but, is apologetic. Exactly. And then and then she calls and on the phone it's like a little and it's late you get up but it's also like uh, and then there's that moment of Oh, okay. Wait, because well, and then she meets go to the, the bar. woman yes. at the bar, and yes. she seems so okay, genuine. Look, I'm gonna help you. Yeah, exact, exactly. And so you you go, oh, okay. Maybe all right. maybe it's gonna be okay. And then of course he Dan finds the uh, the the little the phone number, and then it you know escort, escort service, services. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, the, the thing is, is that I also I got the relief because she goes back to the manager's office after she's been caught thieving. And you get the feeling, oh, is the manager going to take a, take advantage of her here and let her get away with it if she goes under the table? And, yeah. you know. No, but, but I love it. I think it's between you and me. Yeah. As, as far as I'm concerned, it's a pain And when he it. is the decent guy, you, you get that moment of relief. Like, oh, my God. Yeah, no, thank God that didn't happen. And I think it's that interaction with the manager that le- that that you don't just go right to the that um, Ivan being a, a piece of shit, right? That, that the manager, okay, it's between us. And then Ivan's like, look, look, I had to do it. Which so I, I think I think if we don't have that that scene with the manager and he tries to stop her by leaving, you know, we maybe we think something totally different. But I think we get we're we're kind of oh it's, it's a good guy. He's just gonna let her, it. It wasn't like she was stealing booze or yeah. junk food. It was yeah these things that you le- women legit need. So yes, I so I think that's that's what helps. So my other cry moment 
is when her daughter comes in the bed. First of all, she's freezing cold. Oh, it's rough. And second of all, it's it's the kids are making fun of her. They're making fun of her because her shoes broke, and you already you can hear that they it's not the first time. And and then when she says the kids heard about the food bank thing, again, I I think that this scene would wreck me regardless, but. Anything with kids now, man, it, it just it fucking hits me harder than it ever has before. And I just. Well, my it's, it's interesting you bring that up because I, I do I do think about those kind of things when I recommend movies to I, I do not assume that every parent, as soon as they have a child, they are now very sensitive to material like that. But I do remember my oldest sister and and her husband uh, at the time, big Mel Gibson fans. I, I remember that very vividly. Like, they, they introduced me to Lethal Weapon and uh, maybe Mad Max, maybe not. I can't remember precisely. But uh, I remember her talking to me about Ransom, which I feel is a very underappreciated film. It's one of the best in, in Ron Howard's uh, canon. And I think it's probably top three Mel Gibson performances. I genuinely believe that he deserved some sort of recognition for what he does in that film because... He has a fucking lot to do in that film, as does Rene Russo, who plays his wife. Mm-hmm. But I remember this this conversation that she we had very vividly after she had her second child, and she said, "I can't watch that movie anymore." And and they that was a movie that I remember watching with them, and how much they loved it. And and she's like, "Nah, never again will I put it on." So just to, to tie that back, because I don't have any experiences like that myself, but just to kind of you know, the first movie that that really that hit home for me. Um, of just like having kids and watching a movie where it's it's very kind of hard to watch, mostly because of a, of a kid thing, uh, was um, Stella must have been maybe four or five months old, and uh, she was asleep between Melissa and I, and we watched Room. Ooh, yeah, that was uh, that was hard. Okay, <laughs> that so the, was the one tough, the one that I would, and it's a movie that I really like. It's the I don't think he's directed anything else, but Tim Roth directed a film about 98, 99 with um, Tilda Swinton. And uh, why am I blanking on this actor's name? I love him so much. Um, guy from Sexy Beast. Oh, Ray Winston? Yeah, Ray Winston. I don't know why I blanked on his name. I love Ray Winston. He directed a film called The War Zone. As a parent, I'm telling you, do not watch that film. Okay. Okay. I mean, I, me, the, the the film critic, so another film critic and an actor is is telling you, you must watch this film, but as, as knowing that you are also a parent, do not watch that film. Okay. Good to know. <laughs> Good to know. So kind of hitting the things that we that we normally talk about in the podcast, um, I mean, my, my favorite scene, as hard as it is, is, is the, the food bank. Yeah. Is that, I'm not sure if, do you have one that, that you would? It's the the end I is my favorite. I think the food bank is the more powerful scene. Okay. But the call to action that happens with her again, huge spoiler tag. He does unfortunately succumb to a heart attack. It's such a pivotal moment. Yeah. He's going to get his appeal. Mm -hmm. He's there. Yeah. He's there for the appeal. They're right there. They're the other side of that door. And he goes to the bathroom, has a heart attack in the bathroom. And it's the, the eulogy at the end that she reads. And the, the moment that kills me, the moment that just slays me. Because he is a carpenter. Yeah. And you see him with a pencil behind his ear. Like most of the movie, she's like, it's written in pencil. He only ever wrote in pencil. Jesus Christ. Could you just, I mean, you just tore my heart out. Can you put it back already, please? Yeah. But I have the entire thing here. I don't know if you want me to read it. Oh, do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
I'm not a. So this is what she read. This is what he was going to read at the appeal. Do you want me to read it? No, I got this. I mean, you're the actor, so <laughs> I mean, just, please. I just give it a shit. Uh, I am not a client, a customer, nor a service user. I am not a shirker, a scrounger, a beggar, nor a thief. I am not a national insurance number or a blip on a screen. I've paid my dues, never a penny short, and proud to do so. I love this line. I don't tug the forelock, but look my neighbor in the eye and help him if I can. I do not accept or seek charity. My name is Daniel Blake. I am a man, not a dog, and as such I demand my rights. I demand you treat me with respect. I, Daniel Blake, am a citizen. Nothing more and nothing less. It's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect writing. Yeah. It's really good. Um, But we did, in getting to that, we did skip over... I don't think it's the most important scene in the film, but I, it's the... It's about iconic. It, it's going to be the iconic scene. It's what, the cover I, what, of the Criterion. Yeah, almost. what I yeah. hope proves to be iconic is him getting fed up. He's had the moment where he comes to find out that she is now an escort, and he tries, he begs, and he pleads her not to do it, and she turns him away. She's like, I can't see you. I don't want to see you anymore. You can't see me like this. And and yeah, so and he's at the, the benefit place. Yeah. And you could tell, I mean, it's not just... He's just done. He doesn't it's, care yeah, it's not, And you could tell that, I mean, what he's doing isn't enough. To please their bullshit requirements, what he's doing is not cutting it. Well, what I love is the fact that he doesn't rise to it. He doesn't say a word to her. He just walks out. When this woman says, hey, what you've done, what you've brought me is not enough to prove that you've searched for work 35 hours out of this week. And he just walks out. Yeah. I'm like, okay, this is good. And I'm like, but I know I've seen the cover. I've seen him do the graffiti. So where is that going to fall in this? Oh, it's happening now. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, And... Another actor whose name I wrote down, uh, Malcolm Shields, as the Scotsman. Okay, I was just, yeah, yeah. Who, I, when he gives him his coat, that slayed me. Yeah. I mean, it didn't get the, the tears welling up, but I'm like, this, to see that moment, to see so the lack of compassion from the people who should be helping him. Yeah. And then to just see this beautiful moment where this, this Scotsman just gives him his coat. Yeah. He's like, man, you're freezing. Here, please take my coat. It's the least I can do. And the fact that the Scotsman is goading the cops as the cops take him away. Yeah. I don't. Do you want to read what he writes on the? Oh, I don't. Oh, I don't have it. You don't have it? No. Well, what the fuck are we doing here then, man? We're talking about I Daniel Blake. <laughs> he says, uh, what he writes, what he graffitis on the side of the wall is, I Daniel Blake demand my appeal before I starve and change the shite music on the phones. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. It's good. Um, I, I wanted to talk about my favorite line. Um, and, and the eulogy, his, his letter, what he was going to read to the board is great. I mean, I, 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 maybe I'm splitting hairs here. I, I wouldn't, I didn't include it because it, it's a speech. It's huge, but it, yeah. it, I mean, it's great. My favorite one line though, because it, it's, it's a, it's a great callback is, um, he's when he's, he's at one point he's talking about his wife and how hard it was to kind of care for her and stuff. She had her ups and downs, but whatever. And he, he mentioned something about the wind and, and her sails, um, and then at one point later to to Katie, when he's talking to her, he says, we all need the wind in our sails or we all need the wind at our back now and then. Yeah. And I just I just like that line as, as a one liner just come out because in a way it's indicative of the whole movie. Yeah. We all do need the wind at our back now and then. And I just I just like what it means both to Daniel and, and his wife, but also just in a, in a more grand scope, what it means. I don't know that I have an unsung hero. Um. It might. I would say probably the daughter. I love oh, she's her. Wonderful. I, I love her coming back to the door, and I made you couscous, and it's just it's such a sweet like. I well, didn't cry, the, but the I'm thing, also like. Oh. The thing is, is that the the power what she has to deliver in that because she can't get through to him. 
And she sees him shuffling around in this house that is now completely empty because he sold. He's had to sell his stuff. Yeah, every it's... stick of furniture he owns, except for the oh, and this is the other thing that kills me: the bookshelf that he builds for Katie, which is what he's trying to tell. I built this for you to put your books on, so when you go back to college, you'll have something to put your books on. Yeah. Oh. Can you just? Can you guys just stop with the? Yeah, just stop it. Um, but the way she the way she has to deliver the line of "Hey, did you help us?" and he says, "Yeah." Then why can't I help you? Oh, man, that is, that's as good as any child performance in any Spielberg film, right there at that moment. Well, and and yeah, and she's not. That's what's so great is that she's, she's just so earnest. She's not. I mean, she's not doing anything too big. You know, like she's not asked to cry. Like when she's with in, in the in I going back, but the, the scene in the bed with her mom, it's just like she's just whispering. And, yeah, and it's it's that moment where it's like. You want it, you have to say something important, but you, you know that if you start crying, you're not going to get through it. So it like it, it, the whole you could just tell the whole time it's like if I cry now in front of my mom, I'm gonna I'm just gonna bawl. Yeah. But she gets it out, and it's just yeah, she's she's great in it. I think I think I'd say she's my unsung hero in the movie. Well, another moment I want to highlight while I'm thinking about that sort of general area of the film is. I, I think Haley Squires is my unsung hero, even though I know she got a little bit of attention. For she this. is phenomenal on this movie. Yeah, the weight that it's it's Daniel Bla- it's Dave John's film. Yes, but so I feel like a lot of it is like it's her story. Well, you know that's I don't I totally just cut you off. I'm sorry, but no, I, no. It, it's it's great. It is I Daniel Blake, but it is it is it truly is both of their movies. Yeah, I mean, there's whole chunks of time where we don't see them. Yeah. Yeah, there, there is, and this that section of the film we're going to talk about. There is, he's not present during this, but she's she's staying up all night trying to clean this house so that the kids have a nice, safe, comfortable, clean house to live in. And when the tile falls off in the bathroom and breaks, mm-hmm. that look on her face, that just that goddamn one more thing, you know what I mean? And that's, I think, if I'm remembering the order of events in the film, I think that's what finally pushes her. To call Ivan? No. Am I? Am I? Okay. So I'm out of. Sequence. It's earlier. It's it's okay. much, it's it's the first. Dan Daniels come over. Okay. It's the it's he's basically left to like, you know call me, or I'll come over to fix the thing. Oh, he's left her a bit of money. Yes. For the electricity. Yes. That's right. Okay. Yeah. 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 But that the 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 look on her face of the just the one more thing. You know what I mean? That yeah. is so powerful. Yeah. And she says so much, saying absolutely nothing. Yeah. And I yeah. really, I'm very, very in the same way that I was talking about. Uh, Florence Pugh when I was uh, again I don't know if I'm pronouncing her last name right in the my recommendation from Lady Macbeth yes in the yes. same way that I hope we see a lot more same with Haley Squires I really want to see uh, me too a man. lot more of yeah. her she's got endless potential yeah I don't know where we, I, I don't know where we are but I know that okay if I if I just say one more thing about this movie it's again it goes to the way in which it was made and when when Ken Loach was auditioning for this movie I, the casting director was was in a part of the the kind of that making of documentary, and she was describing it. And I wish I wish every audition was like this, that it wasn't reading from the script at first. At first, it was like basically we're going to talk to you, and we're going to see if this this back and forth conversation we can tell by that if you write for the part, and then we'll have you come in and read. Because to go in with like a prepared speech, it's so. Especially if you're doing like if you're auditioning for a show and you're not reading from the show, you're just you're just giving them something that you want to show them. That's nothing to do with the script. It's how are you going to tell if I'm the right person for this role by a speech that doesn't isn't even from the thing that we're going to be working on? Yeah. You know, and I wish. Well, yeah. Let's just say you're you're auditioning for. I mean, you were in Pillow Man. Yes, I was. You're and you're you're auditioning 
for that. Yeah. And you've prepared something from Shakespeare, right? Yeah. It's a show as like a sort of showcase of what you can do. I mean, the two don't really... But even if you're even if you're an, an, on, an on top of it actor and you're doing a play by X playwright and you you pick a piece to do by the same playwright but from a different show and you're showing and it's, it's you could similar. still not be in the right ballpark, it, it's right? Still, yes, yeah. exactly. And even I mean, and honestly, even if you had a piece from the show, you still know nothing about me. You don't know my. You don't know who I am as a person, right? And I I just that happens so infrequently. And I just, I just loved watching that and hearing it. It just made me, it made me hope that in the future on projects where I can, where I can go in on audition for for me and for everybody else, that it's more of a, let's sit and talk and let's see if you're actually right for the part before, you know, you, you read from the show. I don't know. It I just, sounds like there's a handful of directors that do it and they usually get stunning performances. I mean, Malik's form of auditioning is, is similar. It's just, Hey, we're going to, we're going to have a conversation. Yeah. We did. We did unsung heroes. Uh, favorite shot. Favorite, favorite. Oh, I don't know if it's a shot. I mean, I know it's the food bank scene. God, well, that, I, that well, can we, we, that's interchangeable shot scene. Yeah, that that is my favorite. That is my favorite scene. Yeah, it's it's for me. It's the what I hope to be the iconicness of him spray painting the wall with yeah. his little his little message. Um, so something I mentioned. Unless you have anything else. Uh, something I mentioned. Earlier, at the very beginning of this podcast, is... And the thing that we have to remember as we go through this, films you must see before you die. And we've talked about, you know, as I just said, we want there to be something iconic that comes out of this film. And it is a call to action. It's very important. I, I do believe that everybody should see this film. But there's also, with each new edition of this book, and this isn't an indictment of the book, at all, but I do feel like there should be, and this is my internal struggle just with the thing in general, because I do want everybody to see this film, but new things come and go. So that kind of cheapens the idea that you must see this. And yes, it's got to be in flux because it's not like we're going to stop making movies now. Exactly. Right? And yeah. So new things will come and go. But I feel like there should be a certain grace period. I'm not saying that it has to stand the test of 50 years worth of time. But sure. It, it needs to, before, I, I feel like there should be a certain criteria. Something needs to be around a while. So we can kind of look back at it in retrospect. And I'm not saying it has to be 10 years or whatever it has to be. But I, I do feel like stuff shouldn't go into this thing willy-nilly. And it, I, there should be more of like an honorable mentions or stuff that we've watched recently that we feel like could be good candidates which is where I would throw this in. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I I don't know if I'm I'm no, precisely no. making my point there. No, I, I hear you. I think so I I you know I have I have two other editions of this book. Um and it, it's interesting, you know, what's in and what goes out and movies have movies have been in one edition and then left and then come back in. And what I kind of like about that is at least that there's thought like, you know, like, sure, the movie isn't in this edition, but we'll see what happens. I think there are two great recent examples. In this edition, uh, two of the movies that came in from 2016 that should not be in this book are... Uh, I, I know what the first one is. What's the second one? Well, well, say yours first. It's Manchester by the Sea. Oh, no, no, no. No, no, no. You think that should be in? I don't I don't know. But okay. I, there are two movies I know should not that, that are in, and it's Jackie and The New Jungle Book. Those movies should not be in this book. See, I haven't seen the new Jungle Book. Oh, I'm it's in, 
Oh, it's bad. I'm in no rush to, but no, Jackie was fucking awful. This is this is my thing is Jackie I, was I'm, Jackie was damn near intolerable. But I'm go, but this I'm I'm piggybacking off of you totally that there are going to be movies that go into the book that probably shouldn't. And yeah, but they they're very reactionary calls. Exactly. Exactly. Right? And I think I mean not just cuz I hope this, but I think that in the next edition I don't think we're going to see Jackie or the Jungle Book. I'm worried the I Daniel Blake may come out. In the see, and edition. I don't, I don't because I think it's too, it's too good. There's too much. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I would hate if that happened, but I think it's too, I think it's too good. Which our little talk about this makes me feel like it's um, obvious question time. Just the way we've been talking about it. Ian, should I Daniel Blake be in the book? Yeah, and it should stay in the next edition. Absolutely. Um, and the one other thing I'll say, not about the movie specifically, but when I think about this is number like 32, I think we've done. So we've talked about 33 films technically with our Buster Keaton double feature. I put this in the same category as Requiem in that it's a good movie, but there's a reason to watch it. There's a. It's not just a sit. It's not, it's not Back to the Future, right? It's not a movie that we love, but we can sit back and watch it. It's just it's just fun, right? There's not a whole lot of like real tangible lessons from Back to the Future, um, other than don't go back in time and almost screw your mom. That would be that's a good one. Um, but <laughs> the thing about Requiem for a Dream and I Daniel Blake is that there is such a message to them that. It's not just that you need to see this before you die. It's that you need to see this before you die because it may actually change your life. Um, and I think it's it's a great movie and an important movie. Um, and, and, I mean, we obviously strongly encourage you to watch this. Um, hopefully, if you haven't, you did and then listened. Um, if for some reason you... You listen to this first and then watch it. I still think you're going to be moved. We uh, we can't do justice the acting and the the storytelling that goes on. Yeah, no, we've spoiled it completely, but it's that's not to say that it's still not a completely worthy experience because it is. Yeah. So, um, we would love to hear what you think. Um, we would love to know other movies or or moments in other movies that that make you think of this and and maybe were a call to action. So please find us on Facebook and on Twitter. Give us some feedback. Let us know what you think about the movie and um, about the moments from it that you either really like or really don't. Um, you can listen to us on Google Play and iTunes and Spotify. Please, you know, rate us, review us, like, listen, all those good things. Um, so if you made it this far, really quick, um, I got a plug. I'm I'm in a show. Uh, it's called Small Mouth Sounds. It's in Seattle. We're opening at 12th Avenue Arts. We open tonight, the day that we're dropping this episode. So, um cool to come see it you know if you want to um you can uh we'll post something on the facebook page so you can you can find it so i can try to give you all the details now um and you know it's kind of hard to end this on a totally upbeat note but uh, it's a great movie so um please watch it and until next time i am adam and i am ian and we will see you next week <laughs> <laughs>